0: Hello, and welcome to the September 2023 episode of the Red Sky Feel for Thought podcast. I'm Laura Growlick, your host today, and London United Kingdom-based account executive for Merged Media with Habas Red US. Today, we're covering a hot topic that won't be going away anytime soon, artificial intelligence, also known as AI. You may have heard of it. In the past year, Artificial intelligence, or AI, has become a buzzword that elicits many emotions. Wonder, excitement, confusion, and anxiety may be a few of these. Now that the dust has settled on the AI frenzy that filled the past few months, we're taking a step back and looking at what we've learned. One thing is certain, this technology is here to stay, and it's important for us to understand it as marketing and public relations professionals. On today's episode, we're going to help you do just that. Specifically, we'll be taking a look at an AI technology that's been brought to center stage, Generative Artificial Intelligence, also known as GenAI. Today, I'll take you with me as we explore what GenAI is, how it can be used as a tool to help your workflows and the risks that we should be looking out for. This month, we're dividing our episode into two parts, bringing together a larger picture of Gen.AI in the communications landscape. Joining us today, we have Amber Shakir, Partner and Client Director at Gate One. She'll be starting us off with an introduction to Genai and what it's capable of. Next, we'll look into what wielding a tool like Gen.AI means for us as PR and marketing professionals and where this leads the industry. For this roundtable, we'll be chatting with Rachel Sansom, CEO of Havas Red UK, and Myrna Van Peltz, Senior Communications Leader at Havas Red Australia. I'm so excited to introduce you to our guests, and I can't wait to see what we learn. Let's dive right in. Amber, it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. So I was hoping that to start us off, you could set the scene for us a little bit. So would you mind giving us an overview on what Gen AI is and how it's different from quote unquote, traditional AI?
1: Sure. Um, I've been talking about this a lot in the last few months. So AI, um, old AI, traditional AI, however you want to call it. been around for decades and i am in technology consulting so i've been implementing it for my clients for a long time and it's easier to start with the definition of what that is before we dive into gen ai so traditional ai is the ability for machines to mimic human intelligence to perform tasks and what it does is it analyzes data It makes certain decisions and they're binary decisions. So they're like, yes, no decisions. It's, is this word Apple? Yes, no. Is the sentiment in this sentence positive or negative, et cetera? And that type of AI has been used to automate workflows, to automate decision making. And you see that in a lot of software applications that people use day in, day out. It's in your shopping apps online. It's in your camera phone. It will go, is this scene light or dark? And then it compensates accordingly with the exposure on your phone. So AI is already in our pockets. So nothing new there. What generative AI does now, and the power that we've got that's different to old AI, which is more around automating, is that generative AI now can learn from those data sets and then it can synthesize new data. So rather than just say, is this, word an apple, yes, no. What it does is it can write the word apple for you. It can generate a picture of an apple for you. It can describe the attributes of an apple for you. And the reason why this is possible now is we've got something called large language models that have been developed over the last sort of, you know, five or so years. And they're trillions of bits of data. It's like crowdsourced data. And so that means that you can learn and deduce so many more variables than usual traditional old AI automation was doing. Um, And also, you'll see things like Intel and NVIDIA coming out with new chip technology. and, And that chip technology just means the computing is faster. So the mathematical algorithms, which is what AI is built on, and the computing power, plus these massive language and text and image repositories have made the ability for machines to generate and synthesize new data a possibility.
0: Yes, I love, love that explanation. I think that that really covers, you know, the key differences between it. Now, I think that a big concern that a lot of people have when it comes to Gen AI is that it is going to replace human creativity but looking at those fears is gen ai going to replace us as human beings
1: fundamentally no is the answer but i think you have to unpack it a little bit in terms of what people are actually scared of and conflicted about people <laughs> like especially my generation we've grown up with terminator and ai bad like a robot's going to take over the world and then they will fundamentally destroy us like i said in my definition it's just maths and very, very fast computing right now. So it's only going to be as clever or as intelligent on the training set of data that it's been used to to be trained on. So, So that training set of data is really important. And I think because it's so fast and because the computing power enables it to learn from so many sources and create something so quickly for us, it jars with us to kind of go oh this is really clever when actually it's just maths so it's it doesn't have a moral compass it doesn't differentiate necessarily so it, it will it will lowest common denominator because it's crowdsourced data so it will always be a much more diluted answer and fundamentally when you think about marketing communities your whole premise and value add to customers is differentiation, personalization. And those things, you know, the the way that I look at generative AI and humans is there's generative AI that is very powerful computing that can automate things that can generate content for us. But then you need that human brain over the top of it to give the differentiation. And then you need human heart and emotion because so many marketing campaigns that i've been involved in invoking some sort of emotive response is really important too or memorability or whatever that might be and that that comes from heart and a lot of our heart or emotion or high eq comes from values beliefs moral judgments etc so you can't at the moment <laughs> you can't mathematically program that in. And so I think what we need to remember is that we've built this tool and we can interact with it. It might be faster than us and it might be able to process more data than we can at any point in time, but it doesn't replace our humanity. Now for certain jobs though, I've got a slightly provocative view on things when people go, but it's going to lose people jobs. There are some jobs out there that humans should never have been doing. We have taken really tedious work and turned them into careers for people. And we've we've normalized tedium. And I kind of go, how do we unshackle ourselves from some of that tedium? And I'm not saying use that to then free up capacity to, to get rid of people from the workforce. How how do we use that capacity to solve for bigger and better problems for society? So I kind of go, how do you use this technology to yes, replace what humans have been doing that fundamentally doesn't tap into our humanity or our values or our creativity? And I do make a joke, and I'm so sorry for any insurance underwriters um, what, listening to the podcast. Who, when they were eight years old, said, I want to be an insurance underwriter when I grow up? we just take these production line jobs and tasks and we've given them to humans in the past. And I'm just not sure we should have ever given them to humans at all.
0: I think that that's definitely a much more unsung, I think, look at it. But, you know, I I think that that's definitely valid as well. We're creative beings. And I think that I think most of us would rather be spending our time actually doing things that are fun, that challenge our brains and there definitely is a way to look at this. Of you know, this could give you more time to do that. So this mm-hmm. could be used to get rid of some of that tedium and then give you more time to to do what I think most of us would rather be doing, which is using our creativity.
1: Somebody described the power in terms of productivity through Gen AI as a lot of what we do in work is graph and craft. So if you take customer analytics and customer experience design, for example, you would do lots of research, you would do lots of data analytics, that's your graft. And then you would go into, okay, given that data points, those sentiments, you know, these these attributes in, in an audience, here's the experience, target experience that I want to design and that's craft. Now, where's the value in the balance of those two things? Is the value add in the graft or in the craft? Now, if I can automate the graft part of it and automate those analytics and spend more of my time in the craft which is like i said tapping into your humanity and tapping into the human brain and the human heart which gives us that differentiation we don't want to create in marketing now some sort of tsunami of spam right where just lots of more and lots of mediocrity and and if anyone's been playing on any Gen AI tools, and if you're in any of the public forums, like on MidJourney, it's on Discord. Um, you can create images, and there's public rooms where people are creating images. If you've seen some of the like mediocrity and nonsense that people are creating, I'm just like, yeah, let, let the machines take over. Like <laughs> in some cases, I'm like, yeah, no, they're doing a better job. But but actually, we don't want to have a race to the bottom especially in marketing and communications, we want that differentiation, we want the edge.
0: You know, I loved what you said earlier. It, it's kind of like what you get out of AI is what you put into it, or gen AI in particular. So I feel like I, I say this all the time of how, how much it truly is a tool to use what we innately have, what you can't take away, at least at this moment in time, like you said. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what you can take away, which is, you know, connecting with other human beings scientists
1: haven't even been able to define what makes us human, right? Is there a spirit? Is there a soul? Do we have consciousness? Like what levels of consciousness are there? Like, and if if I can't define it, I can't program it in an algorithm. And so until, until anybody works out the secret to being a human, I just don't think they're ever going to like the machines will replace us. They'll get close. They'll be able to mimic. But I think again, it's when you crowdsource data, in large language models, the way that OpenAI, Google, Meta are doing, it is a bit of a race to the bottom because you're all utilizing the same training set for with the machine. So the power of it will come in fine-tuning that data with your own organizational data sets. And that's where we need to interact with the technology. And I think it's how do we be better with AI and how do we be better than AI? And I think that's the that's what we have to grapple with. But I, I can totally understand why those fears exist and why people are conflicted about it.
0: Sure. You know, I also I also agree with what you said. I mean, we're having some existential questions on the podcast today, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't even think AI will be able to answer those. So I think that, you know, from what I'm getting, we're okay as of right now.
2: You
1: almost have to think of it as a superpower stack of, Gen AI, human brain, human heart.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, you can't beat those things. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about what Gen AI is, what it isn't. We've talked about existential crises. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've really covered it all <laughs> in this first section, but let's dive in a little bit more into kind of the technicalities, I guess. So what can Gen AI do and specifically how can marketers and PR professionals use this tool to make their lives easier?
1: So I kind of think of it in three buckets of things that Jenna, I can do. It can generate content, it can extend and vary that content, and it can edit that content. And so when you, when you think about from a marketer's perspective, and I kind of step back even further from the marketing team. And I kind of go, what what is a customer experience that we're trying to deliver? And marketing is one aspect of it. There's knowing your customer and customer insights. There's planning your engagements and, and sales and CRM. There's designing your target experience. There's delivering product services and marketing materials that deliver that target experience. And then there's optimizing your campaigns using data to look at how customers are interacting with that content or the products and services. And then it comes back into the loop of knowing your customer again and using that data to refine. Then that cycle goes on and on. And traditional AI has been powering that cycle for a while. So when you think about AWS and Power BI, Or you think about marketing cloud with Salesforce and you look at CRM systems, Microsoft Dynamics and IQVIA, et cetera. There's a number of tools out there that utilize traditional AI, which used to say, of all the survey data that's here, is this sentiment in each of those data items positive, negative or neutral? And so you could get 80% of our customers see our product as positive. X percent of our customers are dissatisfied with our customer services or our delivery timescales, et cetera, et cetera. So you were able to automate analytics around customer analysis. What generative AI does in that part of the cycle is it will not just determine whether something is positive or negative, but it will analyze the input from the customer and it will say, and the root cause of their dissatisfaction is X, Y, Z then crowdsourcing in the large language model, which has lots of data about service responses and service strategies and and customer engagement strategy, it will say, and therefore your next best action should be X, Y, Z. So it's a much richer, faster insight from the data that your customers are providing you with. And what that does is it can fuel then real-time adjustments In CRM and sales teams' engagement plans, you can real time start to see what content really resonated from a a marketer's perspective or a CX designer's perspective, UX, UI designer's perspective. How is the customer interacting with that piece of content? And then do I swap out that content and then see what happens? And it's just that insight to innovation cycle, which is probably. A few days or sometimes a few weeks in some organizations, you can do it much quicker. And to me, there's a superpower and maybe a counterintuitive thing here, where lots of my clients who are in marketing functions are coming to me going, how do I generate more content? How do I, how do I fine-tune and and get really nice variation of content that I've already put? How do I give it my tone of voice, etc.? And I'm kind of going, hold on a second. Let's step back from just those product, which which are great productivity hacks, by the way. But what if you had the power to get so targeted in your relevance because your insight to innovation is happening so fast that you can optimize your campaigns in real time and produce less content, but more relevant content because your generative AI isn't just saying, Because I've always had this problem when when I've done um, transformation consulting in contact centres, for example, CSAT as a measure is awful because it doesn't tell me what to fix. If my satisfaction goes down, the investigation that I have to do to to make assumptions about why my satisfaction has gone down or the metrics that I have to gather from customers about how they're behaving on the website or how they behave in stores or et cetera, et cetera, that is really labour intensive. and so. That insight is really difficult to to quantify. And therefore, in a service setting, how do I pivot what I do? And CSAT doesn't tell me what to fix. With generative AI and that crowdsource, that large language model, the trillion bits of data, the crowdsourcing of of information, I've now got knowledge that a machine can take my data inputs and can tell me not just what the sentiment is, if it's positive, negative. It tells me why they think that the sentiment is what is being driven by that sentiment. And it tells me how to improve the sentiment or what my root cause analysis and next best action should be. And I think that richness is then going to help marketing teams, not just technology teams, because technology teams have gone agile. How does a marketing team now be more agile, more iterative, more innovative in being able to A-B test content really quickly and maybe even on the fly. So maybe that becomes business as usual, that you produce content, you test it, and then you change things out. And then over time, your funnel of content and the size of your asset library actually goes down because it's more pointed and more hyper-personalized. And there are there are varying stats about how much marketing content never actually gets used or never actually gets interacted with. It varies from 40 to 70% of all marketing assets are wasted. So let's use Gen AI to eliminate waste from the system. I think there's some scenarios where more isn't more.
0: Marketing isn't necessarily on our our maximalist trend that we're sometimes seeing, maybe in interiors and in in, uh, clothing. I love what you said about, you know, it's kind of looking at quality over quantity, especially eliminating that waste. I mean, 40%, that's a huge number. And I think that all of us, you know, who work in PR and marketing can agree that we want to avoid that as much as possible. So I think that that's actually really huge that this can decrease that number so much potentially. It's like, it's a great assistant. It's, you know, it's just, it's an amazing tool that can be used to help with productivity.
1: It's also all of that information as well, that root cause analysis, the, the optimization, the how customers are interacting with you know interfaces or content or products is so valuable to your insight teams, your researchers, your UX designers, your sales teams. And it almost feels like you start to take a much more agile, tribe or squad approach to marketing. So who would you have in your... Marketing squad of the future, like you don't have to be an island on your own. like how could you, as sales, marketing data and insights, come closer together to be greater than the sum of your parts? And I think that's that's really exciting for me. what is the what is the marketing function of the future look like? And while we might take some of that commoditized content creation that some marketeers are doing, but actually how do we fundamentally tap into like like i said your humanity and your creativity to craft more honed content which is really exciting and work with the ui teams and the and the sales teams on the impact that your communication your content your visuals can have on customers and you know i think that taps into people's purpose and their meaning as well for for why they even went into marketing in the first place
0: oh i love that especially your last line cuz i think that I mean, so many of us who did go into marketing and PR, it's because we were lovers of human connection. I think that that's kind of where it all started. I know that that's where that started for mm-hmm. me. So I i think that it's always great news to hear when you have something that can allow you to focus more on the thing that is the root of it all, why we went into the business, why people hire us. I just think that that's, that's really poetic and really nice, actually. Also love your bit about the marketing squad of the future. That's exciting to me. I'm just imagining people in like little futuristic outfits with their AI guides to help them. I'll generate
1: a picture for you on mid-journey. Oh my, could you please? Marketer of the future. Yeah, you can use that... it as your advert for the podcast. Oh
0: my, yes, would love that. Yes, okay, that that sounds great. Yeah, marketing squad. Marketing squad of the future with uh, human connection. Absolutely. Obsessed with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So I think that, you know, we can all agree that Gen AI provides us with really exciting opportunities that we can take advantage of. So to wrap up part one of our episode, I would like to ask you a question that I'm also going to be asking Rachel and Myrna in part two of our episode. So what is one key learning on Gen AI that you would like to impart on our listeners? that you haven't yet shared or would like to dive into more.
1: Okay. I might be totally wrong, but I just don't think a machine might be faster than us, a machine might be able to process more data than us, but I just don't think there's people people are predicting singularities when it becomes aware of itself and even that awareness of itself, I think fundamentally this is a game changer for humans and how we redesign work going forward and what humans actually do and this might be totally idealistic of me and rose tinted spectacles um and unashamedly so i worry about our planet like i really do worry about our planet and i worry about my daughter and the children that she's going to have and what we're leaving behind and gen ai as well worries me because of the computing power and the and the sheer, the data storage and the cooling of those data storage units. And that, you know, this takes a lot of energy. This takes a lot of, like, I'm finally hoping that could this be the kind of technology that is the pivot point for humanity, where using some technology and that energy consumption, but to offset by decreasing energy consumption somewhere else, Or by releasing human capacity to solve some of those bigger sustainability issues that we have out there, so I'm hoping that this isn't just going to be a race to the bottom, or big corporations kind of going efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. You know, sack half the workforce. Look, and there's crazy predictions, and I don't buy into some of that hype as well, Lara. Because you know, ten years ago, some of the big consulting firms said that 50% of us would be obsolete by today and we're not. So I think there's a a little bit of, can we just get a reality check here? And the reality is, is that the ethics and the morality and how we wield this tool is up to us. And I'm not waiting for a government to come and tell me what the ethics and the guidelines should be. Like it has to come from within us. And That's why I think the AI is never going to be better than us. (laughs) It's trained on data. It has some flaws because it's only as good as its data set. So, if that data set has biases, whether that's racial biases, sexual biases, whatever that looks like, because it is a bit racist and sexist, um, the AI, but that's because of the data we've put into it. So, it's not deciding to be racist. It's not deciding to be sexist. It's just saying mathematically, The probability of the answer I need to give you is a hyper-sexualized answer because of the data set that we put into it. And some of that data set, while there are some really good data sets around curated research, academia, government data sets, corporate data sets, there's a lot of stuff that's just been sucked up from the internet. And so it's going to be reflective of the polarity that we see on the internet as well. So yeah, I have hope. And I haven't shared it in that way necessarily because people are asking me to implement technology and, and be very pragmatic. But I I really hope that this will be that pivot point that humans need to start to focus on solving the problems of saving our planet better. Sorry, I've gone a bit deep and existential again. No,
3: no.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, I, first of all, I just think, wow, just what a great answer. But then, you know, also, it just got me thinking, AI is a reflection of who we are. And, you know, it going into, we're getting out what we're putting in. And I think that maybe the reason why we're so terrified of it is because I think that it it makes us question who we are, as people. Because, it is taking all of our worst parts, our biases, our deception, our you know, uh, yeah, abilities to deceive to b- promote those biases, and it, it just like puts it just uh, on a, a greater level. But however, I think that this also is reflective of who we are in the best parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. our creativity. You know, just the beautiful images for just even looking at just that that we create with AI. These fantastical worlds that we make that you know we could never have in in real life and i think that what this is doing is it opens you know in the best sense hopefully opening the door for imagination of what we could be and it is my hope as well that we take this enormous responsibility this this thing that we've created this leap out of pandora's box Mm. and that we take this and that we do with it what should be done which is Mm. to take care of it and to use it for the best of humanity rather than the worst
1: yeah and for anyone who's listening that has to start with us in the room yes not us then who else is going to come and do it like and, and we can't leave it to chance with people who are who are going to all technology every bit of technical innovation that's happened in the past has been weaponized in some sort of way and like i said ai has been around for decades it's been it was invented in the 40s so you know it's been around for ages and so it's we've wielded it and we've utilized that technology let's do the same here and you know i think my the final you know takeaway is let's utilize the tool to accelerate growth and learning rather than eliminate big parts of what we do in as a marketing function, because somebody once said, "Oh wow, this is so exciting. we can get rid of all our junior creatives and and we just go upstream and we're, we're, we're senior creatives and it's just like, what how did you become a senior creative if you didn't cut your teeth on all of the work that you were doing before? So why not use gen AI to accelerate nurturing junior junior creatives? going forward. So let's see the positive applications of it rather than just the efficiency. Let's really think about effectiveness as well.
0: Kind of going off that, because that was something that I thought of as well. Same thing with junior staff, junior creatives. This, I think that this can only help them. And I actually think that you're going to harm yourself in the long run because we can't just think of what's right in front of our nose. And I think also, you know, young people are a lot more creative and have a lot more value to provide that actually maybe they can get to that point faster because now they have something that, you know, can help with some of those basic things. And that's
1: it. And we adapt and we normalize and that's what will happen. We don't use abacuses at school anymore. Like we've got calculators and that means that we can free our minds to learn better concepts and and things like that there's lots of ways in which humans have innovated in the past adapted utilized harnessed adapted and i think we'll we'll just see that happening over the next 5 to 10 years how we're how we're going to adapt with this new technology and and yeah i'm hopeful
0: me too so i think that this is a good point to kind of end this segment on a hopeful note gen ai so much of what you're getting out is what you put in it can free up time you know, when used well for creativity. And not only that, but it can make your marketing and PR campaigns so much more again, that quality over quantity. I think it's a a responsibility to be taken very seriously. But it is, it's exciting. And I think that it's here, it's not going away. So let's ride. Let's, let's be hopeful. Let's Let's ride that excitement and yeah, being responsible as well. well. This is amazing, Amber. Like, oh my goodness. What what a great, what a great conversation. So this now provides us with the perfect opportunity to dive into part two of our podcast. So we've learned what AI is capable of um, and how we can use it as PR marketing professionals. And now we're gonna bring it home. So we're going to look into what having a technology like Gen AI means for our industry as a whole we're going to be diving more into our responsibility the security but also the things that are really exciting us and the ways that that we can apply this to our to our day-to-day and to our work so let's now jump into part two with rachel and myrna thank you so much amber for sharing your insights with us um would love to have you on the podcast again and again thank you so much what a what an amazing conversation thanks lara have fun Rachel and Myrna, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to sit down with you for a roundtable on part two of our episode on GenAI. So to get us started, I have a question for you on GenAI's capabilities. So when it comes to helping our clients, what opportunities are exciting you the most? Thanks,
3: Laura. Uh, great to be here today. I mean, I think it's interesting, actually, there's a creative here in Have Us London who calls what Gen AI can do, the imagination printer. So what he is driving at is that, you know, I think there has been a misconception that generative AI might kill creative or creative need as we know it in agencies because it will just do it for us. That is not true. Gen AI cannot create ideas. But what it can do is take great creative ideas by humans and push them further and push them faster and help iterate them more brilliantly. So I think this phrase imagination printer is really, really interesting. I think also there are practical applications. I think when Gen AI first launched, you know, we had a lot of feedback from clients. Who we're very excited about, in essence, being able to produce more content more quickly. There are watchouts to that. At the moment, most of the platforms aren't safe from an IP perspective. So We have seen clients having to rein back from that position, because if you put IP in, the the systems basically learn, they keep it and then they use it to learn. That is changing. There are being platforms developed, Adobe being one that will be more secure in that sense. And, you know, that security issue will continue to be developed. However, therein lies another challenge for clients, which is if the whole world can produce a lot of content quickly, how do you differentiate? So again, that comes back to the human element. So as a tool, Gen I is going to be transformational without a shadow of a doubt. Our view is it is not going to replace the need for human creativity, but what it can do is, you know, enhance it, bring it to life more quickly. And we're all exploring what that looks like at the moment.
0: I love the phrase imagination printer. I think that that's so true and that, you know, the idea that, that this is a tool and that this is something that can help you, but also taking into consideration, you know, it's not necessarily safe from an IP perspective. So a good thing to keep in mind as we're starting to dive into this more. So I always
2: look at AI from a machine learning perspective and it's only as good as what we might feed into it. And of course, the accuracy of questions that we give to AI is where all the magic happens. What excites me most about Gen AI is how it can free up our consulting time with AI relegated to some of the more laborious, slightly tedious, but really equally fundamental aspects of PR, such as monitoring communications, incoming media coverage, alerting us by identifying potential crisis, and last but not least, generating that baseline content. We know, you know, Gen I is an absolute game changer. We've been hurtling towards the broader embrace of this for some time, sometimes unconsciously, but we must apply, always apply that layer of of human intervention, if you like, to bring that content to the level of quality needed. For clients as well, they want to see best use of their budgets and their investment in comps. If some of that time then could be spent harnessing machine learning to pull data points and or, you know, hum with that daily media monitoring in the background at a fraction of the time that it takes a human to do so, that's an upside for our clients. And we're spending their, their budgets more effectively, more responsibly. So I see that as an exciting step forward. The use of AI can drive greater productivity and competitive energy across our industry. And that too is exciting. There's no greater buzz than AI across our industry at the moment because it is so new and it is so emerging. We're really keen to get in front of the AI curve. And out of that, I think what is exceptionally exciting is that it will arise with new standards, there'll be new innovation, and it's going to force us into new ways of thinking. It will stretch our thinking and it continues to do so. How we as a collective industry shape the way in which AI can be harnessed to drive greater outcomes for our clients, I think, is energy really well spent. Excitement comes from uncharted waters, as it always does, and what this can bring to our industry. And we're still at that early point of our our transition to broad AI use.
0: I love everything that you just said, especially, you know, about how it's something that can free up our time. It's something that can make us more productive. And the success that we have with AI is so dependent on the accuracy of of what we put into it. So we really get out of it what we put into it. Now, you mentioned that there are some different tools that we can use to free up our time. So, you know, just for our listeners, what are some of your favorite tools that you're using and that your colleagues are using that are really helping to free up time and, you know, make us more successful as marketing and PR professionals?
2: Yes, indeed. And you know, these are these are really, really useful tools and some that we've definitely adopted um, you know, every every single day of our consulting life. And one of them is Brand Watch, which is a great tool for it, it provides media monitoring around specific subject. It's also great for competitive tracking and competitive share of voice. So you get an immediate sense of where your client is sitting in that competitive mix. The other one that I really like is a TLDR. It's really useful for high spec or tech writing. It can summarize lengthy content. So pages and pages of a white paper, and it pulls it into a condensed version in seconds. I find that that just really invaluable when you think about the, you know, typically the amount of time that it would take a consultant. Another one that is that is really useful, and particularly so for large agency groups or even you know international organisations with multi-markets. This program is called Deep, so D W P, and then L. It translates any content from PDF, from PowerPoint or Word, and it translates that into 31 different languages. So you can imagine the time saving on that and and the cost of translation as well is all nullified by by using that AI program. So those are just a few examples, but there is literally a plethora of, of options out there, and it can be tricky knowing which one to use, but a little bit of research helps with that selection as well.
0: Oh, thank you so much for providing those. I know that our listeners will be very appreciative of that. So looking broadly at the communications industry as a whole, we want to ask you how you think Gen AI is changing or is going to change the way that we work as communications professionals. And know that you touched on this a little bit, but kind of looking specifically in is Gen AI going to help or harm us? So what are the ways that Gen AI can lift us up and what are its limitations? Well, I think actually in comms, as opposed to many of the other disciplines,
3: because what we do is so nuanced, I don't think we there is the potential for us to be as cannibalized. E.g., I was just talking about content production, you know, which is an area that I think people feel that there is risk in. Although, as I said, it's still going to require the human touch, basically. I think currently the way that AI can help us in comms specifically is that it can definitely make tasks easier and quicker by using some of those platforms. However, the platforms aren't entirely accurate. So, you know, we have had clients who are like, great, I can literally just write all my press releases now using chat GPT. It still, again, needs the human filter. It might get you 60, 70% of the way there, but it isn't going to write you a creative press release. And potentially there may be a lot of biases in it. So I think in terms of comms at the moment, the way will really help us is just with Basic tasks. And I think the other area it may help us is that some of the major platforms that we use, like Meltwater, et cetera, have obviously been using AI, not generative AI, for a very long time in terms of helping us horizon scan, look at data, et cetera. I am sure that this new generative technology will enhance some of those platforms to be even better, smarter, quicker, et cetera. So, yeah, I think for our industry, I think we are protected to a degree. I think it will definitely enhance our ability in terms of perhaps being able to do things at greater speed. But actually, I think probably the, the key role we're going to play with clients moving forward is this whole area of legislation, compliance, data breach, I think is probably where the comms people will come into play in terms of the you know helping clients navigate this new world. So, for example, one of the inherent problems with um, generative AR is that it makes fakery so much e- easier. We've all been dealing with fake news forever, but now you could do a fake deep fake brand campaign that nobody would know wasn't created for the brand and might be you know sort of sensitive in some way you know misrepresent the brand so i think from a crisis and issues perspective as comms professionals we will be dealing with more of that as these technologies are rolled out
0: it's definitely one of those things where you know i mean we have the the ability to have greater speed you know to be able to Kind of cut down on some of those maybe more admin tasks, but definitely something to be concerned with with bias with with the technology yes. and then data breaches and yeah, especially with with the fake brand campaigns. I think that that's definitely something that we need to to be on the lookout for.
2: Look, I think Gen AI can can absolutely lift the efficiency and volume outputs of typical comms tasks, and we mentioned these just before you know analyzing online conversations. For media mentions for, for reputation management, for example, or to pull predictive analytics that help analyze information to guide the PR strategy we're developing for a client. There really is a, a, a vast spectrum of how AI can be used for good when it comes to our roles as PR practitioners and consultants. For example, we're already using extensively, so speech-to-text, which is a genuine time-saving when interviewing C-suite executives, so the CEOs, the CMOs, the CSOs, for the development of thought leadership content and speeches for them. Why Why would we tie up a consultant's time for so many hours when AI can produce this in seconds? And, of course, it's not always 100% accurate. It really is accurate. We all know that. But that's where the alignment of machine learning and human application comes into its own. Gen AI, it's only as good as what we can do with the outputs, harnessing the content but always adding the human lens. Other more advanced areas where AI has a distinct role to play is helping us in the area of rapid decision-making. As humans, we have finite ability to scan volumes of information, However, AI does this at a fraction of the time. So for example, when it comes to understanding audience preferences or demographic nuances, AI can help sort through this massive volume of content, identifying patterns and trends, anticipating future scenarios, and then categorizing the data. We then have an absolute smorgasbord of useful pre-categorized content we can use to inform campaigns, particularly so in industries where a rapid pivot of a campaign might make the difference between success and failure, and for example, political campaigns, and particularly so as we're leading into election time.
0: So kind of looking back to where Gen AI can fail, do you have any other ideas or insights into what this might look like? And, you know, especially looking into things like political campaigns, and even just a broader topic, just across communications as a whole and all the different clients that we're working with, how to avoid those legal implications in using Gen AI? Do you have any thoughts there?
2: Look, I think that that's such an excellent question because that is an absolute minefield. I'm of the school of thought that our value to clients is it's really fundamentally about understanding their business and understanding it well so, for example, when it comes to formulating a media release to drive earned media, Gen AI can help to a point, but my preference and that of our team is to harness our knowledge and always develop the first version of a press release, even the second version. Only when we have a draft of the release, Gen AI can then help by, you know, if we ask it to generate. A consumer tone or an enterprise tone if you like or or specific details which we find particularly helpful if we're running out of ideas on what is that really compelling headline it'll come up with a suggestion of the of the title of the release but you know we're still experimenting with this and and we recognize and this is probably where the implications come into it we really recognize that there's a level of discomfort for clients if we were to rely on ai for the media releases for example. Because so I don't see the value of replacing innate human knowledge that a machine cannot know of or has previously never been exposed to. Again, we see AI as augmenting human intelligence. And, you know, the notion of AI replacing our creativity or making human interaction redundant isn't so much science fiction, but just it just doesn't make sense. Nothing can replace that human intervention when it comes to understanding the nuances of how organisations speak to their audiences and win their hearts and minds. We're really critical. We, we remain so vital to that process. I hope I'm not proven wrong despite watching too many sci-fi and Black Mirror episodes. From, from a legal or ethical perspective, we recognise there are growing concerns. So, you know, perhaps I can give a local example from Australia where, similar to many other markets chat GPT has been banned in our schools as early as this year, both at primary and secondary level. And then our federal government, for example, has been engaging corporates as recent as as July, you know, a few months ago, as well as experts in the field to address or look to build out an ethical AI framework. And they've invited industry to help inform what that framework could look like in practical terms. Now, it's, it is early days, but that said, given the rapid embrace of AI across the board, we should be a lot further down the track in terms of how best to employ the benefits of AI while protecting and putting in checkpoints, if you like, for the ethical and legal use of this. And this is often where, where fear and uncertainty about AI stems. It's been said, we fear what we don't understand. We don't know the full implication of how far we can apply AI. So, so safeguards and checks and balances are are very urgently needed. And you know, it's interesting given the nature of our industry and the volumes of content we develop and amplify for ourselves. We're probably really well placed to take greater leadership in in the formation of those ground rules. And we it's, we do expect a lot of progress on this part to be made quite quickly, but. Perhaps I can finish by saying it does require bravery, boldness, and a visionary mindset. And I think PR professionals, we are so relentless when it comes to understanding change and the embrace of new and rapidly changing technology innovation. So I think that's going to hold us in really good stead.
0: Absolutely. I love what you said about how AI, it's not replacing innate human knowledge, how it's augmenting our intelligence. But then also, you know, the incredible responsibility that we have as, you know, professionals who are bringing in this new technology and hopefully using it to wield good, you know, looking at the risks in using Gen AI, So it's important for new users to take that risk into consideration. And then, you know, of course, as we were just talking about now, that responsibility as well in using this new technology to help us rather than to harm. So we'd love to hear some ways that we can, you know, mitigate these risks.
3: I mean, I think at the moment, as I said, the experience that we've had sort of in the UK and with regional clients within Europe is that from an initial flurry of like, oh my God, we're going to use this for everything. I think everybody's taken a pause because I think legal departments and procurement departments are like, hold on, we cannot use this safely at the moment. And actually, I think it's quite interesting because Coke were one of the first brands to come out with AI generated content within an ad. And while they see it as a key strand of their innovation moving forward, they have also taken a pause. And I suspect it is around the compliance issues. So, you know, I think people are taking a pause for a second. I mean, as you've said, the main issues with it are bias. You know, if we did some testing here, so we asked it what a doctor looks like. And it, you know, it came, for a doctor, it came out with an older guy. And for a nurse, it came out with a very pretty young woman. You know, so the bias issues within it are very, very real at the moment. As I said, it's not entirely accurate, which, you know, if you are using it in the regulatory world or if your company's regulated at all, is a huge danger, but it's a danger for everybody moving forward, basically. And the third major issue, as I keep saying, is that most of the platforms currently are not safe in terms of confidentiality and their use of IP. So there's a huge amount to deal with. And as I said at the beginning, I, I feel that until those issues are, sufficiently dealt with, we will not see it being used in a, as much of a proactive way as I think the first three to four months, you know, of its development kind of indicated, basically.
0: And, you know, looking to the ways that we can, you know, maybe make this something that we could implement into the future, looking into those compliance issues and the concerns of data breaches and and confidentiality. Do you have any any thoughts on what we might need or what you're really hoping for that can be changed? I
3: think there is, because I think also most of the major platforms know that they're not going to get the traction. I mean, it's a financial thing, right? They know if they don't sort out some of the confidentiality issues, they know they're not going to be able to sell the platforms as successfully as they could do. So, you know, we know, for example, that Adobe has technology that makes it very safe from an IP issue. And I suspect the platforms that, do, you know, instigate the safety element are probably the ones that are going to thrive the most as well. So it's a bit of a race to the top. So I I see this as a a sort of short term blip. I think in some ways it's quite good that we've had the blip because I think it's everybody given everybody a bit of a breathing space to get to grips with the technology, to get to grips with some of the issues. So thank God for the fact it was flawed in some ways, because I think we all needed a bit of a breathing space. But yeah, I think as I said, Adobe's already developed something that's fairly safe. We'll see other platforms doing it. So I suspect as we go through the latter end of this year and early into next year, some of the issues that I've just talked about will become less so. However, the fundamental thing with Gen AI, as I said at the beginning, is it isn't a creative instigator. So the way that we see it very much as a tool, and you still need brilliant, creative people to be working with it to get the best out of it, unless you want mediocre but who wants me? I mean, nobody, you know, nobody wants mediocre.
0: Absolutely not. You know, I think especially when it was like first coming about, there was so much anxiety about AI, you know, replacing creatives. And I I think that, you know, the general consensus and thing that we're finding is that, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. We still need that human touch and that human element. It's, it's a tool.
3: But I think it might reshape creatives. So, you know, I think you'll always have the classic creatives in the, in the way that we know them. But obviously we need new skills. We need prompt experts and people who can really understand how you prompt the platforms to get the work out of it. So when it first was launched earlier in the year, there was a lot of talk about job losses. And, you know, of course, global economies change shape all the time. I think in our industry, it's not about losses. It's just about changing the shape of, you know, what our sorts of creative departments and retinue look like, because we still want to develop the best work at the end of the day.
0: And I mean, if anything, kind of like what you said, it it opens an opportunity actually for, you know, creatives to become experts in something else that could help, you know, with using Gen AI as a tool. Yeah, I think that that's some very good news to be had as people are diving into this.
2: Look, I really enjoy this area of discussion because one aspect is really always so clear to me, which is the risk of not embracing AI, I think is far greater than the risk of experimenting with and and embedding it into our everyday, you know, professional lives. When it comes to risk, as with all innovation and emerging technology that's new to us, it'll always be harnessed for good as well as ill intent. That's never going to end. So we always need to mitigate around that however we best can. And look, while we strongly advocate for the embrace of um, AI for the benefit of our comms consulting, for me, there are probably three key areas of risk that stand out at this stage of this evolution journey of AI. And the first one is all about transparency, and it's about taking your client on the journey. Full transparency is is such a, a vital hallmark of how we engage and partner with our clients. Many of our clients likely assume that Gen AI is already being used for good and for efficiency, but take the time to share with the client how we're using it. So there's a clear understanding of the vital role we play in the consulting piece and that AI is there to help greater levels of efficiency, not thinking or creative strategy, but efficiency. I think that's important to stress. And so that the fear and uncertainty is somewhat lessened. I think the second one is alignment and consistency of the use of AI across organisations. Here at Havas Red, globally and in Australia, we have an active think tank on the AI front and we're putting in place clearer guidelines around the ethical use of AI. We're all trying to rewire our business around this new and exciting technology. And the challenge is finding out how fast or how slow should this adoption be. If we go too fast, It will be chaotic and it will be disruptive. But if we go too slow, we're going to struggle to keep pace in a highly competitive environment. It's such a fast-changing sphere. So aligning across the agency on standards and adoption, that's really something that needs to be committed to by everyone across the agency. So we're all travelling in a consistent direction on this adoption curve. I think last but absolutely not least, human intervention must remain at the fore when it comes to using AI generated content. Never make the mistake of not checking or qualifying the content. This is a clear danger point and examples have have um, how others have fallen short on this. they're already providing really useful case studies of what not to do we're not going to be replaced by ai because we're not machines we're warm-blooded highly inventive nuanced creatures of intellect that bring much needed skill and insight to the communications realm
0: love these three this way of blocking down these risks into these three categories and completely agree with you that you know the risk of not embracing ai is more dangerous than than not because tying back into the historical adoption of these new huge technologies that connect us, like social media, the advent of the internet, once that's put out into the world, it's like Pandora's box. It's a point of no return. You know, while that can seem daunting, I think that, you know, we need to give ourselves some more credit in that we are brave, we are innovative. The human race cannot, our creativity cannot be replaced. This is a tool that is used to help us when it's used well. And in looking at how to, you know, mitigate these risks, that transparency in how we're using AI, I think is so important. And then the really clear ethical guidelines of using AI, I think that that will just really put people at ease and give us a way to really drive forward in a a really clear way. And then, of course, human intervention remains at the forefront. I think that in order for this to work, that that has to happen and will happen. But sadly, you know, it's time to bring this segment to a close. So to wrap things up, we'd love to hear from you on one key learning from Gen AI, if it's, you know, if it's possible to do, that you would like to impart on our listeners that you haven't yet shared or would like to dive into more. So um, Myrna, please take it away. Thanks, Lara.
2: I think I'd like to finish off with this thought, which is the linear thinking of AI and how it isn't designed to replicate our three-dimensional thinking. As comms professionals, we've spent multiple decades fine-tuning our craft, our nuanced insights, and as knowledge workers, we're so proud of our contribution to helping organizations make the complex simple and intuitive through compelling language. This is all the more reason to embrace AI and benefit from this in a way that makes our lives easier and I work more productive and ultimately, and this is so important, ultimately so much more satisfying as it frees up valuable consulting time to engage with our clients more or, or collaborate with our colleagues in at a deeper level. And at the end of the day, this is what we love doing and, and what we do
0: best. Love the, the linear thinking of AI. I think that's just really poignant.
3: I have shared this, but I think my departing words are going to be it will only ever be as good as the human partner or input that it's got. And I think everybody just needs to remember that it isn't, it's amazing technology, but it isn't a panacea. So, you know, I think in our business, particularly, it is only as good as the humans that are using it.
0: I think that most people would be very glad to hear that. So, you know, to wrap this up, just to to look at some of the key learnings that that we've gone through in our episode. You know, with AI, you're getting out what you're putting in. This can be such a time saver, you know, when you're using it correctly. And when you're putting innate human knowledge at the forefront, mm-hmm. AI is supposed to augment our intelligence, not to take it away. And having the bravery, the boldness, you know, being a visionary when you're, when you're looking to this, really using it as a tool to help you and looking into how we can mitigate those risks, the transparency, the alignment and how we're going to use it just the human intervention remaining remaining at the forefront and our creativity. That we're, we're not gonna be getting rid of that human element. If anything, there might actually be some more opportunities to be had as our creatives become Gen AI experts. But then of course, also being, as you're diving into this, very careful with the security risks that this can pose. So it's kind of like playing with fire. Fire can be an amazing tool, but you can't get too close because you might get burned.
3: great analogy laura that's a great analogy
0: thank you i just came up with that one so very proud (laughs) but i think that's that's really what it is it's it's just making sure that you're you're being really careful with this so this i mean this has just been such a great conversation so insightful and i know that this is going to be a real help to those who are you know either just getting started with the technology or people who have started to use it and are hungry to learn more so Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you on the podcast again soon to continue the conversation. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Lara. That was an absolute joy to to share some of those insights and hope we get the chance to chat through on this topic again.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Please don't forget to rate and review the show to let us know how we're doing. We hope that you'll join us again for more of the latest communications insights and trends from the team at Havas Red. We'll see you again soon.